Father, we recognize tonight that you are worthy of all glory, of all honor, of all fame. You're worthy of our worship, whether it be in song, whether it be in the way that we live and love and treat each other. You're worthy tonight, and we declare it to you. You are a great God. Father, be glorified tonight as we continue to worship you in song, as we continue to worship you in communion, as we continue to worship you in getting into your word. We pray that your presence would change us, that you would change our hearts, that you would draw us close to you somehow. You would illuminate to us, that you would reveal to us through your word who you are and what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, so here we are, the Sunday after Christmas, in between New Year's, it's pouring rain out, (laughs) and we're here worshiping together. Isn't that a good thing? Amen. Amen. We're glad that you're here tonight. Welcome to Renovation Church. My name's Jeremy. I'm part of the leadership team here, and uh, we are about to start a small series. We've kind of taken a break from our series in the book of Acts. And hasn't it been fun kind of walking through the book of Acts and the expansion of the church? Um, it's, been, it's been fun to talk about those things together. And we kind of took a break and we went into the Advent. And you heard from Mike and from Bernie in relationship to Isaiah and the coming Christ. And we, we spent some time doing that. And now we're going to embark on a three-week series called Why. Simple, simple title. Um, And really what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few weeks talking about, and as Mike said, I guess, recalibrating, um, my son gave me his iPod, so my my pockets are full, sorry about that, recalibrating why, why are we here, why are we planting Renovation Church? And, you know, one of the first things that immediately comes to mind is, is our tag mission statement that's right on the front of our website, that's on the, on the cover of everything. We exist. Why? For the glory of God and for the good of the community. And, and one of the main purposes, one of the main reasons that we're even doing this, that we're uh, embarking on this planting of Renovation Church is simply for the glory of God. Amen? So turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 33 to 36 together. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the first part of this passage and, and probably more focus on verse 36 with you guys tonight. So read this with me, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Let's read it together. Oh, the depths of the riches in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So here we are in Romans chapter 11, and Paul breaks into these three verses of, in essence, worship. Paul takes a moment, and after 
Romans 1, chapters 1 through 11, and before going into chapters 12 and on, he takes a moment here at the end of chapter 11, and he breaks into worship. And, and, I, and, and this is really a transition passage in the book of Romans. And so in, in thinking about this, I began to think about what has just been talked about. Now, I know we're not right now in the, in the middle of a study of the book of Romans. Um, Mike and I were just talking about it before the service. It would take probably six, seven years, really, in the way that we do a series to walk through the book of Romans. I think we've been in John, we were in John at Missio for, I don't know, a year and a half, and it's still going. Who knows how long that's going to go. But if you, look, if you think about this in the book of Romans, Paul has just talked about through chapters 1 through 11, in, in, in chapters 1 through 319, the sinful condition of the human heart. Chapters 1 through 319, he's talking about the desperate indictment of the sinful heart and the sinfulness of every human being. No one does good, no, not one. And then he, in, in chapter 320 through 521, he's talking about the great work of the cross of Jesus Christ, providing righteousness and justification by faith alone, apart from the law. He talks about that in, the, in chapters three through five, and then you see in chapter six through eight, he talks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to conquer sin and secure us in the love of Christ. Chapters nine through 11, he speaks and makes an argument of the sovereignty of God and his faithfulness to keep his promises. And now he breaks into worship. At the end of chapter 11, he takes a moment in response to just learning and writing and gleaning as the inspired apostle writes the book of Romans about the sinfulness of man, the, the, the glory and the sanctification of the cross of Jesus Christ, the victory on the cross, and, and, the, and the idea of sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit that secured us by his love and God's sovereignty and his faithfulness to keep his promises. And he's about to launch into chapters talking about human morality. He's about to talk about how we are now, in light of 1 through 11, to live our lives in relationship to each other and in relationship to God. And in between 1 through 11 and 12 through 15, he stops at 11.33 through 36, and he worships to show us the mindset that we are to have as we go into the next chapters of Romans. And that's this. Oh, how unsearchable. Let me read it before I miss misquote the word oh how the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments how inscrutable his ways for he who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen amen so this is where Paul's at and this is something that we can see here that in response to this understanding of who God is and our sinful state and his salvation and his justification, there's this idea now as we move into how are we to now live of saying, oh, I love that. Oh, the depths of God and worship him and bring him glory. This is the mindset that we're called to have as we respond to an understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. Amen? Think about it for a minute. I'll never forget this. I was, uh, I was in Bible school, and we, uh, 
we were actually in a class called Romans. And this professor, one of my favorite professors, Lanny Hubbard, was teaching on Romans chapter 3. And our class began to worship. I don't even remember how it started, but he was standing at the board. He was writing on the board, and I don't even remember what he was writing. Probably some kind of a list or some kind of a graph or some kind of a thing to begin to describe to us what was being taught in the Word of God through the book of Romans. And and there was something happening in the class. And, And I remember distinctly that Professor Lanny Hubbard was choking up, he was beginning to choke up as, as the word of God was affecting him, and he, uh, I don't know if he started it or if a student started it, but we, without him asking, without him saying anything, began to worship God, and someone began to sing, and we worshiped together as a class in response to what we were hearing from the word of God. Theology, good theology brings what? Doxology. It brings worship as the word of God is illuminated to us, as God reveals himself to us in his word, and we begin to understand who he is. Oh, the depths of who he is. As we begin to understand how amazing he is and his love towards us in the cross and in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the fact in Romans that we are absolutely desperate and lost in our sin and that he has come and justified us and made us right through the work on the cross that he secured us in his Holy Spirit, it should bring about in us a desire to what? Worship him and bring him glory. Amen? And he's about to launch into chapters describing how to live. I love this passage. I love that Paul stops and that he does this. And I just want to take a moment and and relate it to really what we're talking about tonight. Renovation Church exists for the glory of God. We exist to bring him glory. The word of God shows us and is very clear that God is jealous for his glory. He's about his glory. He's about being made known to to all mankind, that his glory would fill the earth. And, And we, as his representatives, bring him glory, and that's why we exist. I mean, this is, this is a very, very powerful concept in the Word of God, as we see in verse 36 of this chapter. You see the kind of climax of Romans eleven thirty-two, where he says, God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And then in verses 33 through 36, Paul worships, breaks into worship, and that, that, that should be our response I don't know that I often respond the way that I should as God reveals himself to me. I know sometimes I walk into this place exhausted, right? I walk walk into this place or or I come into a situation where I feel the drag of life and the difficulty of of just my day-to-day. You know, I'm living every day, going to work, spending time with kids, engaging with your families, engaging with your friends, engaging with your vocation. And there can come a a tendency to be tired, right? There can come a tendency to begin to, to inward focus. There can become a tendency for us many times, I think our natural bent in our sinfulness is to do those things that we do every single day out of obligation or out of some desire to, to bring satisfaction to ourselves. Does that make sense? I mean, aren't they inextricably linked? 
as you, as you and, and John Piper writes um, ex- incredibly on this topic, and if you've ever read John Piper, this is one of the themes that I think God has, has used him in helping us understand, is, is this idea that, you know what, I live every day, okay, and, and I have in, in me a desire to, to be satisfied. How many of you guys would agree with that? Listen, there is nobody on planet Earth many times that I'm more interested in being fed on a daily basis than me, right, obviously. <laughs> this is a major motivation in my life. I seem to go from meal to meal. If you ever ask me for directions, I will tell you what restaurant you're, is, is near where you're trying to go. This is something that's obviously a big part of my life. So, you know, and, and I recognize this. I'm, I'm interested in me being comfortable, right? I'm interested in me being satisfied. I'm interested in me being rested. I'm interested in me... Um, progressing in my vocation. I'm interested many times in people looking at me and saying, good job, you did a nice job. And somehow, there's something within me that desires glory, right? Does anybody else feel that way ever? And yet God tells us that we are to live for his glory. It is the mystery of the incredible knowledge and wisdom of God that he has created us and designed us not to live for our own glory and our own selves and our own satisfaction, but he's designed us to live for the glory of another. He's designed us to live to bring him glory. And here's the strange twist or the amazing mystery of the knowledge of God is that He's most glorified in us, to quote John Piper, when we are most satisfied in him. The reason he designed us to want to be satisfied is because he's glorified in us when we are satisfied in him. Here's the problem. In our sin and in our fallenness, we we seek and we, we go after satisfaction in things that only bring destruction and dissatisfaction. When we live selfishly and full of self-centeredness, we're never more unhappy than when we live self-centeredly and for selfishness. But as we live and begin to understand who he is and how he's called us to be in relationship with him, with him, as we live for his glory, as we live to bring him glory and to honor him and for his fame and for his name, it brings a satisfaction and a joy in us that goes beyond our ability to understand, as the word of God says. Jeremiah says it like this, and, and, and that, that many times as, as God provides for us, as we see in John 4, living water where we'll never thirst again, Jeremiah describes this idea that we keep running back towards cisterns of dirt for satisfaction, and we just we drink from the cistern of dirt instead of from the living water. And as we live for ourselves to somehow gain glory, people to tell us we're okay, financial gain, to somehow uh, live in a particular way that people recognize what we're doing, uh, and you hear it in our, in our postmodern, selfish, uh, modernistic uh, culture, this idea of you just need to worry about your happiness, you just need to be happy. In fact, it was interesting, my wife and I were out to dinner, and we were sitting in a wonderful restaurant, and we we were very close. We were seated in those places where the two-seaters, you know, it's just the two of you, kind of nice romantic dinner. But literally right next to us was another two-seater where two other people were sitting. And so you feel like you're right in their space. Anybody, you know what I'm saying? So it was interesting because their conversation was so amazingly interesting that I don't think Trish and I said too much to each other. 
<laughs> as we were sitting there eating. It, it, other than, oh my gosh, did you just hear that? You know? <laughs> so we sat there eating, and it wasn't like we were eavesdropping, because it was like we were sitting with them, you know? But they were so into their conversation, they didn't realize that we were listening to everything. Sadly, the conversation was amongst two believers talking about why it was okay that they were together, even though they weren't married and he was married to somebody else. And, and here they are in this conversation, and it was remarkable how they were able to bring a justification to what they were actively doing in this moment using scripture <laughs> and using this idea of, you know what, you're just not happy. You're just not happy, and your happiness matters, and we're happy when we're doing this. And, and, and what, a, what a devastating lie. I hear it all the time in my vocation as I interact with people, and I know you do in your lives, and maybe even as we look introspectively at our own lives to varying degrees, we make these decisions based on, I deserve this, right? This is going to make me happy. And somehow it's contrary to the way God has designed us to live, the way God has designed us for uh, optimal human flourishing, the way he has laid out our design and how we are to interact with him and interact with each other in response to the gospel. And in humility, God has called us to interact in particular ways. And as we do that, we bring glory to him and satisfaction to ourselves. But as we make these decisions outside of that on our own to say, I'm going to selfishly live this way because I deserve to be happy or I want glory for myself, isn't it funny how we're in essence miserable? And don't experience the satisfaction that comes from living the way God has designed us and interacting with him the way he's called us to, to responding basically to what God declares in the first 11 chapters of Romans with worship, not just in song or in word, but with our lives as he begins to lay out for the rest of the book of Romans. So that's where we're at. We exist to glorify God, but how amazing is God that we can't outgive him because as we sacrifice, in essence, to bring him glory, he brings us more joy and satisfaction that we can imagine or that we can attain on our own efforts. Amen? Paul, in this passage, begins to declare the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And you hear in Paul's writing of this passage this genuine, I believe, heartfelt worship as he says, oh, oh, the depths. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Think about this depths. The depths, like the, the metric is really this, not this. Like, like there is nothing underneath God, Right? I mean, he is as deep as it gets. He, he, as Paul's peering at this bottomless ravine of the glory of God and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, he just says, oh, the depths, the riches and the glory of God. As you think about the depths of, these, of, of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, it's unsearchable, right? In a sense, you hear in Daniel and, and other passages in the word of God, it's hidden. It's, it's this idea that, that unless God shows us his knowledge and his wisdom, we can't know it. In fact, it's so deep and it's so unsearchable that there's no way we ever can wrap our brains around it completely. Am I right? I love that because God's bigger than us, right? If I could wrap my brain around 
Every, all the knowledge and the wisdom of God, wouldn't I be bigger than him? There's some things we just don't get to know. Some things we just don't understand. He's so big, the depths, it's like green lakes, right? Or more, just that there's no bottom. They're unsearchable. That's how big he is. I believe that this um, demonstrates for us the depths of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, this idea of depths, that they're, that they're real. And it, it's very difficult to... Uh, to talk about the glory of God today without gleaning some insight from John Piper. And I, I read a quote from him today as I was looking through some of this stuff, and he was quoting someone else who said, who stated something that bothered him. And that was, uh, this woman was on NPR, and she, she, she said, theology is like poetry. And John Piper responded with a, no, it's reality. It is real. As God has revealed who he is to us, it's not just nice philosophical or poetic language. There's a reality to it. God created everything. God made everything. God owns everything. And as he reveals who he is to us and, and somehow allows us uh, some illumination into his knowledge and into his wisdom, that's absolute reality. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You can set your life to it. As God speaks, as God reveals himself to us, that's how we are to live. That is who we are. That is reality. It's not poetry. It's not philosophy. It's life. Amen? The depths of who God is, his riches, his knowledge, his wisdom, is reality. It's real. And you can see it as, you, as I look on my life practically. From the time I, at a Wesleyan church as a six-year-old kid, walked to the front altar and gave my life to Jesus, to the time as I walked away as a teenager and then heard his call back on my life and as I've walked through young 20s and married and kids and into, into where I'm at today, um, as I look back on that, I can see the hand of God and the fact that what he says is true. It's real. The depths. The depths bring to mind how foundational the knowledge and the wisdom of God is. It should be this idea of depths is there's nothing deeper, there's, there's nothing below God. There's this foundational um, idea to his knowledge and to his wisdom as we begin to do life the foundational value system by which we make decisions, by which we live, by which we walk, should be designed based on the depths and the revelation of who God is and what he's revealed to us in his wisdom and in his riches and his knowledge. Amen? How do you make decisions in life? What is the foundational value system by which you do anything? If we exist for the glory of God, then I don't just move because I got a job somewhere else that makes more money. If we exist for the glory of God, I don't just go hang out and marry this person because I feel butterflies every time she walks by. If we exist for the glory of God, I don't just go here or go there or go anywhere based on some worldly value system that says, do what makes you happy. If we exist for the glory of God, the foundational value system of our life by which we do anything comes from him. Amen? 
How often are our decisions based on just what we think looks smart? Can I tell you the best decisions I've ever made in my life came from God's wisdom, either, either through the word of God or someone speaking wisdom into my life from the word of God and would have looked stupid to everybody else but made sense because it's what God was calling us to do. We exist for the glory of God. His knowledge, the depths of his knowledge and his wisdom are foundational to our lives. He is the destination, right? He's not a means to an end. He is the end. At the end of all of this, we get him. There's no greater gift. There's no greater destination. There's no greater object of our affection. There's no greater place for us to go. There's nothing lower than him, higher than him. He's in the middle. He's in between. He's below. He's above. He's where we're headed. He's who we worship, and he is the destination. Everything we do in our life is designed to glorify and make his name known and worship him. Amen? His riches, how the depths of his riches, he owns everything. He made everything. And beyond that, in and of himself, he is of infinite value. Isn't that wonderful? This is who he is. Look at Colossians 2, verses 2 through 3, if you have your Bible. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of fullness, I'm sorry, of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. Jesus Christ, as he has been revealed to us, has within him all the mystery and the wisdom of knowledge of God, the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. The depths are unsearchable. Look at verses 34 through 36 with me. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has seen his, who has been his counselor, who has been a gift to him that he might be repaid? Listen, this is what, what, what Paul in his worship is describing something about God and his glory is this is that God is not a debtor to anybody. Isn't that true? God is not indebted to anybody. His relationships, because of who he is, are completely different than ours. His love, because of who he is, is completely different than ours. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis in uh, The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis said, God has no needs. Human love, as Plato teaches us, is the child of poverty, of want or lack. It is caused by a real or supposed goal in its beloved which the lover needs and desires. But God's love, far from being caused by goodness in the object, causes all the goodness which the object has, loving it first into existence and then into real, though derivative, lovability. God is goodness. He can give good but cannot need or get it. In that sense, his love is, as it were, bottomless, selfless by every definition. It has everything to give and nothing to receive. Isn't that true? 
What a, what a, what a brilliant revelation. When we love somebody, we have a lack, right? We need a response. We love, we love what is good in something. But if you think about God, he doesn't need to receive goodness from us. He doesn't love us because we give him anything or because somehow he would be our debtor. He creates anything that's good in us. His love is what makes us good. His love is what generates anything within us that's worthy. God is, his love isn't, doesn't have any need. He doesn't, no one could be his counselor. No one could speak to him as if to tell him something. He could never need something from us as if he were indebted to us. He is love, amen? And his love for us isn't, isn't in need of reciprocation, even though he loves us to worship him and love him and bring glory to him, but his love for us is based on his agape love, his choice. He loves us, amen? Verse 36, I'm going to close with this. To God be glory forever. Think about this in verse 36. To him are all things. To him be glory forever. There is a lot I could talk about in relationship to, for from him and through him and to him are all things. I think there's an aspect to that passage that speaks to his sovereignty. And then he closes with, to him be glory forever. I want you to think about these these thoughts for a minute. I'm going to leave you with some final thoughts. Do you love the idea that you exist to make God look glorious? Do you love the thought that creation exists to display God's glory? That all of history is designed by God to be, um, as John Piper says, one day a canvas that displays in the best way possible the greatness and the beauty of God. That Jesus Christ came into the world to vindicate what sin has done to his reputation and to make it right, to bring him glory. You exist to make God look like what he really is, glorious. Do you love that thought? That your salvation isn't just meant to save you, but your salvation is meant to put the glory of God's grace on display. Do you love seeing and showing the glory of God? Folks, we exist for the glory of God. You are alive to bring him glory. Your life was created to bring him glory. You fit into the mosaic of the history of the world designed by God to bring him glory. He saved you to put on display his grace. Why? To bring him glory. As he said in, in Romans chapter eleven thirty two, he consigned everybody to disobedience. Why? So that he could show his mercy in everyone. He has saved you to bring him glory so that people can look upon his church, to look upon his people and see the glory of God. We're planting Renovation Church. Why? To glorify God. How many of you believe that in Liverpool and in Baldwinsville and in Clay and in Cicero and in North Syracuse, God needs to be glorified? People need to see who he really is. And the way that people get to see who he really is is through your life and through my life. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we bring him glory? 
I think what we can, can see rises from this passage of Scripture is this. We need to look face to face at who he is. As we look through the book of Romans and Paul gets to this passage, we need to come face to face with the reality of the depths of our own sin, the amazing victory of the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to so transform our hearts that we respond in life worship and bring him glory. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. If you haven't taken a close look at that and recognized who he is in the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, do that again afresh right now. Do that today. Do that and take a moment and just look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you and how he's saved you and how he's wanting you to live for him. And in your response of worship, as we worship God together, we'll bring him glory. I want to quote Piper one more time. He said this in relationship to this chapter. This is why God created the universe. This is why he ordained history. This is why he sent his son. This is why you exist forever to see and savor and show the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The question at the end of Romans chapter 11, do you embrace this calling as your treasure, and as your joy? I think that's the question for us today. In light of the mercies of God, which is 12-1, Mike's going to preach on it next week. In light of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your worthy and acceptable service of worship. In light of all, everything God's done for you, in light of his mercies and who he is and your sin and his sacrifice and his justification of you that you couldn't have earned, in light of everything Jesus has done for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, worship, worship, as Paul does in this passage, 33 through 36. Why? Because to him be all the glory. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. He has called us to glorify him. We exist to glorify him. Let's stand together tonight and let's take a moment and pray for his glory. You know, Mike had a, an idea. He texted me earlier this week and he said, why don't we take a moment at the end of this, this particular night and let's just pray together. Let's corporately pray that God would be glorified in this place that God would be glorified in the lives of the people that are sitting here tonight. And as we go, as we spend so much time talking about the Great Commission in our going, let's live in such a way that he's glorified, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known. People see who God really is through the way that we treat each other, through the way that we live in our marriages, through the way that we raise our kids, through the way that we work in our jobs, through the way that we do everything to bring him glory. Amen? Let's pray together. If you could, as we bow our heads and close our eyes to pray, just actively, actively pray with me for the glory of God. Maybe seek your own heart and just say, God, am I living for your glory? Lord, help me to live in such a way that people see who you really are through my life. Let's pray that together. God, we just thank you. We worship you. 
in response to who you are. Oh, the depths of your wisdom and your knowledge and your riches. God, they're unsearchable. You are a great God, and yet you're not far. You've come near. You're interested in our lives. You've saved us and justified us and and secured us through your gospel. And God, I pray that you would help us to respond to who you are with worship, that we would bring you glory, that we would bring you glory in this place. God, our prayer is that the people in this community would see your glory. God, I pray that the people I work with would see your glory. I pray that the young people in the schools represented in the zip codes that we live among, that the Liverpool School District and the Baldwinsville schools and Clay, Cicero North Syracuse, God, we pray that these young people would see the glory of God, that somehow your knowledge and your wisdom and your gospel would be revealed to them to save them, to redeem them, to bring them to a place that they can experience not just your presence and salvation, but the joy that comes from knowing and glorifying you. God, we see the pain around us. We see the thousands who live lives drinking cisterns of dirt. And you offer living water. Help us to glorify your name. That they would know of this water that would cause them to never thirst again. Use us, Lord. Be glorified. Let your glory, as you've promised, fill the earth. We worship you and we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said.